Did you know that there is an Army art program? That the Army maintains tens of thousands of pieces of art? What's in the Army art collection and how can you see it? For answers to these questions and more Army art insights, stay tuned. Welcome to the U.S. Army History and Heritage Podcast, the official podcast of the United States Army Center of Military History. The Center of Military History writes and publishes the Army's official history, manages the U.S. Army Museum Enterprise, and provides historical support throughout the U.S. Army. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the United States Army History and Heritage Podcast. I'm Lee Reynolds, the Strategic Communications Officer for the Center of Military History. In this episode, I'm speaking with Sarah Forgey, the Chief Army Art Curator within the Army Museum Enterprise. We'll be talking about the vast amount of artwork the Army maintains, where the Army gets the art, and why there is an Army art program. Well, welcome, Sarah, and thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. All right, this is exciting. This is, uh, I've had a chance to walk walk through um, where you maintain the art and see a lot of this. So uh, it's unbelievable. And I, th I think our our listeners are going to really be interested in this topic. Excellent. Go Always ahead. a little bit awkward talking about art without having the art in front of us to see, yeah. but I'll do the best I can to be well, descriptive. <laughs> right. And so before we get into the discussion, um, let me just tell folks who you are. So Sarah Forgey is the chief art curator for the U.S. Army Museum Enterprise. She began working as an assistant curator for the Army Art Collection in 2007 and became its lead curator in 2010. In her current role, Ms. Forgey is the subject matter expert on art for the Army Museum Enterprise, supporting art collecting, exhibitions, and conservation efforts at the Army Museum Enterprise Museums and all the museum support centers. I say all, but there's two of them, so. Correct. <laughs> which is where we are right now at Fort Belvoir in um, Virginia. And then the other one is? Anniston, Alabama. Okay. So although uh, most of the art is stored mm -hmm. at the Museum Support Center here at Fort Belvoir. And also let's, let's just get into it. So Sarah, first and foremost, I know this was a surprise to me when I first started with the Center of Military History that we have an Army art program. Why? What, what is, is it about? That is the question, and I can't tell you how much time I spend at cocktail parties answering that question whenever anybody asks me what I do for a living. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the Army Art Collection, you know, we have, we, we have a ton of artwork. We have about 35,000 pieces uh, maintained by um, the Army Museums and by the Museum Support Centers. And uh, it's a long history. Um, you know, I did. I wasn't aware that we had an Army art collection until I started working for the Army. It's not something that you study in art history programs. Um, so that was a joy to uh, to learn about that and to you know have spent the past fifteen years now working with this collection here. Um, you know, I have to get into the history a little bit to start yeah, off just to, you know, explain. Hey, this is a history podcast, exactly, so that's yeah. perfect. <laughs> so we do have a modern program. I'll get to that shortly. Right. But, um, you know, to understand how we got to where we are, we got to go into the history a mm -hmm. little bit. So, you know, the Army has 
had art and collected art ever since there's been an army. You know, mm -hmm. soldiers decorated, you know, powder horns and, mm -hmm. you know, their bags that they carried as early as, you know, the Revolutionary War. Mm -hmm. It's a tradition. It goes back. Um, it goes back in Europe as well, as well as history painters who painted mm -hmm. actions that um, armies and navies, you know, military actions. Right. So this a lot of this art isn't just an artist going out and painting something. Mm -hmm. It's soldiers decorating their items. It is. It is. Wow. So, you know, it's a two it's a two part thing. We have, you know, we have soldiers who decorate things and we have artists who, you know, either are soldiers themselves or who are civilians right. and, you know, follow the military and create artwork based on what they on what they're doing. Wow. Um, so, you know, in the United States, that tradition, you know, it you know, it goes back really as early as mm -hmm. the Revolutionary yeah. War. Um, mm -hmm. The earliest works we have in the collection here at Fort Belvoir, the earliest eyewitness works, mm -hmm. are um, some 12 pieces uh, depicting the uh, Mexican War oh. um, by an artist named James Walker. Now, James Walker was a trained artist who happened to be in Mexico City um, mm -hmm. during the siege, and he painted what he saw. Mm -hmm. You know, he was working as a translator, but, you know, his since he was trained as an artist, that was what he decided to do. And uh, his artworks are incredibly historically accurate because he was a witness to the events. We still have people contacting us, you know, to view these artworks and see, you know, how were the troops actually positioned? That's how accurate these are. No kidding. Oh, that's fantastic to know. Wow. And, you know, we're currently in the 175th anniversary of the Mexican War. So um, one of the things that we're doing as we highlight those campaigns, we're showcasing the Army art yes, that you're exactly. talking about so people can see that on our social media. I usually plug that at the end, but I thought this was a good time to bring that Oh, in. yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. We'll keep plugging it here. Mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, you know, that tradition continued in the uh, Civil War. Mm -hmm. um, many people know, you know, uh, you know, we talk about Matthew Brady's sure. Civil War photographs. Mm -hmm. um, we had artists who were following the armies as well, painting what they saw, publishing them in, you know, Harper's, uh, Harper's and Leslie's and um, all the publications of the day. So we have some of those works in our collection as well. Mm -hmm. um, but the important distinction in the 19th century is that these artists were working for magazines, they were working for, um, you know, independent commissions, you know, they were selling their work to people other than the army. Mm -hmm. The difference came in the 20th century when the army started running its own art programs. Mm -hmm. And that began in World War One. Uh, but why did they transition to that? Why did they want that program? Um, well, in some in some ways, it was because uh, the European armies were doing it, and you know we were joining in we were joining in the war as it was already occurring, um, and we decided to do the same thing. There was also um, there there was also really a call within the art community to have artists recording the war and to have you know and to have artists be involved. Um, so the program for World War One was established, and uh, they chose eight artists. They commissioned them as captains, captains in the Corps of Engineers, oh, wow. and they sent them all over to France. Mm. And their uh, their instructions were really kind of revolutionary. They were told, you know, paint what you see, paint in whatever style, whatever medium you choose. Wow. Now, you know, the artists ended up kind of 
choosing their own specialties. So like we had a couple artists who, you know, chose to paint, you know, more landscape type scenes. We had a couple that chose to focus on, you know, the frontline scenes Mm -hmm. and others, others focused on, you know, machinery, things like that. Um, the artists found that there was a little bit more censorship of their work once it was sent back to Washington than they wanted there to be. So, you know, censorship in what way? Um, in that their work wasn't shown to the extent that they wanted it to. Oh, but not like, oh, exactly. take this oh, no, no, no. image out, no, nothing No, nothing was like changed. Nothing oh, was it changed. it just wasn't shown. It just wanted. wasn't shown um, to the extent that they expected it to mm-hmm. be. Um, so while the program had some really high ideals, it didn't quite meet, it, it didn't quite live up to it in, in actuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, now those artworks, uh, those World War One artworks, there was no Army Art Collection at the end of World War One, uh, so those works ended up being turned over to the custody of the Smithsonian, uh, who still maintains them to this day. Uh, they showed them um, a few years ago for the centennial of World War One. The mm-hmm. Air and Space Museum had a beautiful exhibit about the uh, World War One artworks. Uh-huh. Um, so after World War One, the program uh, was basically disbanded in between the wars. Um, but World War Two brought it back with a vengeance. <laughs> they, um, you know, kind of the same thing. The art community felt a call to be involved, and um, artists began designing posters. And there was a big effort to have the uh, the illustrators of the day involved in poster design. Mm-hmm. But a lot of artists uh, really wanted it to go beyond that. They wanted to be there on the front lines right. covering the war, just like just like the previous generation had right. done during but the posters. So what were those recruiting posters? They're recruiting morale. posters, uh, morale, like the Liberty loan posters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you know, that's probably the, the most well-known effort is mm-hmm. Liberty loan posters, okay. you know, both yeah, in world war one and world war two. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, so world war two, the program was even larger than world war one. Uh, the war department, uh, they, put together a group, an advisory, an art advisory committee um, consisting wow. of, you know, museum curators, artists, you know, uh, George Steinbeck was on the committee. Um, and uh, they chose uh, 42 artists who oh. were um, among the best artists, you know, some of the, some were very well-known artists mm-hmm. of the day. Um, so they chose people, some of whom were already in the army, some of whom were civilians, mm-hmm. and they were given a special commission. Uh, 42 of them, and they sent them um, all over the world to document what the army was doing oh, at wow. the time. That's exciting. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was very exciting. The artists were, you know, really into it. You know, a lot of them, they were saying, you know, we're going to go out. We're going to be, you know, we're, we're going to be, you know, doing these great works like Goya or... Mm-hmm. But then, like many things, um, funding was cut to the program just a few months into it. Oh, wow. <laughs> Unfortunately. Um, so that left, uh, that left us with an issue as far as these artists go. Mm-hmm. So we had, you know, the, ar- the artists who were already in the Army were kind of absorbed into their units. Mm-hmm. They were assigned other duties. Now they were told that they could keep painting and mm-hmm. drawing you know, as long as it didn't conflict with their primary duties. Mm-hmm. And most of the artists chose to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the civilian artists had no commission, mm-hmm. and that's when Life, uh, Life Magazine stepped in because they already had artist correspondents in the field and they wanted to expand mm-hmm. their program. So they took on the commissions of uh, the civilian artists. Okay. Um, yeah, I've heard about the Life 
art program. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know the the, the story. The origin of that. it, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Very so they all began okay. as army artists and then um, funding was cut and then they became life magazine artists. Good for uh, them. Yeah, yeah, it was I mean it was a good gig if you could get it, certainly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so those artists um, as well, they you know, life ma- life would give them, you know, their uh, their assignment and you know, the army or, you know, the navy, whoever they were assigned to would um, help them out with, you know, transportation, building, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, many of their works were published in Life Magazine during the war. Now, we maintain that collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, Life Magazine donated it to the DOD in 1960. Oh, okay. um, and the Army, uh, the Army was luckily assigned the job of maintaining the entire collection. So, you know, beautiful works um, that depict Navy, Marine oh, Corps, okay. you know, the Marine Corps Peleliu Landing paintings mm-hmm. by Tom Lee. These are iconic works. Wow. Um, but they're maintained by the Army. Um, the Marines are a little sore about that. We do, you know, we, we do... We're happy to loan them to the Marine Corps Museum. Exactly. Yeah. Um, So it's more than just army collection. It's 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 military. Yeah, the life collection in particular. The life collection in particular has works from the other Mm -hmm. services, but the rest of our collection is primarily army. You know, if we were offered works um, related to another service, we would offer them to the art collection of the other service. Okay. But the life collection was donated to the DOD mm-hmm. with the stipulation it has to all stay together. Oh, we don't want, you know, 60 pieces going here, 100 going here. We want it all to stay together. Yes. Um, so we maintain custody and we loan it as needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, after, uh, so that was the life collection that was donated to us in 1960. Meanwhile, we still got those soldier artists out in the field during mm. World War II. And some of them were really aggressive about getting to the front lines in order to, you know, uh, we had one particular artist, um, um, Rudolf von Ripper, who would kind of, you know, go up to the front lines and he'd disappear for weeks or months at a time. No one would hear from him. And they'd be like, what is going on with this guy? I wonder where he is. And then he'd show up, you know, just randomly with a bunch of artworks, leave them off and then go disappear again. Well, what would they do? So they're out there, you know, I'm sure they have a weapon with them um, and they're out there with troops, but they wouldn't just sit there and, and, and set up a tripod and start painting. So It depends on the artist. Right. Um, so, you know, they had to carry their own materials. Mm-hmm. And this is true to this day as well. Right. Um, you know, so generally they're carrying stuff that they can easily fit in, you know, that they can easily carry. Okay. So they're working rather than working in like oil paints on canvas. Most of them are working on paper. They're mm-hmm. working, you know, with pen, with graphite pencils. They're working with watercolors. Uh, but they're also facing issues as well you know sometimes if you're working in really hot conditions really cold conditions you know your art materials may not work as well as you expect them to Mm -hmm. you know we had one artist Edward Reap who um, he liked to paint in watercolor but he was covering the Italian campaign Mm -hmm. and it was too cold in the winter that his watercolors would freeze before they adhere to the paper so when you look at his work, it's, you know, depending on the time of year, it's watercolor, watercolor, watercolor. Then he switched to just ink uh, over the winter of the mm-hmm. Italian campaign. Could he go back later? and? Oh, absolutely. And, and, yeah. And update it with the watercolor? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's the artist's choice. I would imagine a lot choice. of these guys sketch stuff initially. And yeah. And then 
turn into a bigger piece yep, of art. Yeah, and that's the artist's choice. You know, mm-hmm. some of our artists, um, you know, like to, you know, kind of take sketches when they're out in the field. They kind of, kind of as a form of note taking. Mm-hmm. And then they go back to their studio and, um, you know, turn it into a more finished artwork. Do you have any of the sketchbooks? We do. Yeah, yeah we do. Right. And those are my particular favorite um, treasures that. in the collection. It's yeah. like it's like reading a diary entry, but in visual wow. form. Wow. You well, know, because it's, it's, it's so immediate. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see exactly what was going on. You can see the mistakes that the artist made. You mm-hmm. can see when, you know, when he or she... I say he because we're talking about World War II, and mm-hmm. at the time it was it was just just men in the World War II program. But you know we have had female artists in the more modern modern program. Um, you can see when the artist has made mistakes or changed his mind, mm-hmm. or you know you can see the little notes that they take. You know uh-huh. just to remind themselves later this is so and so, and you know this is what was going on. Mm-hmm. I love those little notes. You know as as a curator you live by that stuff like something that the artist jots down if you can read it (laughs) (laughs) you know as long as you can read the notes you know you can that's the stuff that you dig into Mm -hmm. and well who was this soldier what else can i find out about him and that goes into your exhibit labels and your cataloging records and everything it's it's fascinating Um, yeah, so World War II was a very active time period for the Army art program. Uh, we had those artists in the field. We also had um, Yank Magazine mm-hmm. had artists. Um, Yank Magazine, the Enlisted Man's Magazine, had um, a lot of artists who some of them were doing the same thing, mm-hmm. going out into the field, creating documentary artwork. And some of them were doing cartoons. Now, oh, we yeah. have a huge collection of Yank Magazine material as well. It's about 3,000 pieces. Um, so that is some really neat and material. And those are a lot of cartoons as well. A lot of it's cartoons, yeah. You know, some are funny, some are. Some mm-hmm. are products of their time, and, okay. you know, they mm-hmm. would be offensive to modern audience. Uh, yeah. um, but, you know, they're, they're interesting in that they are products of the time. Yeah. They're a glimpse into what the enlisted man was mm-hmm you know, experiencing during the time. Yeah. And then uh, moving forward, and we did the same thing. Now, after World War II, did the art program go away or, or is it now firmly established? It is firmly established now. Right after World War II, it did go away. But um, remember, after World War I, we gave the art to the Smithsonian. Yeah. Well, after World War II, we had way more art. Mm-hmm. You know, we had about 3,000 works of art um, that were turned in by those uh by those soldier artists who were in the field. Mm -hmm. We had the Yank collection. We had, and you know, the army's just accumulating art at this point and they don't really know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. So that's when they established an army art collection. Um, So at that point, uh, they started formally collecting, you know, collecting soldier artwork, Mm -hmm. gathering it together, you know, codifying the program to the extent that they could in Mm -hmm. 1946. In the Korean War, uh, there was an effort to get a similar program going, but it never really took off. So we have not very good coverage of the Korean War. Now, there were a couple artists, one working for Stars and Stripes. There was an artist um, who was a 
Department of Defense civilian, and he was over there, and he had some art training, and he recognized that we didn't have an art program, so somebody should do it. So he created some artworks. Um, but because we didn't have a formal program in the Korean War, that is an area that we don't have a lot of artwork covering. And then, like, Life magazine didn't see an interest They didn't, no. Stars and Stripes did. Um, I think Collier's had a, uh, had a Korean War program as well, but... No, Life Magazine did not. Uh, the Vietnam War was when the next really big Army art program effort took off. Um, once we got into Vietnam, we established um, a program through the Army Arts and Crafts program. And uh, that was, uh, what they did this time was kind of cool. They put together teams of artists. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for the World War One artists, it was... World War One and World War Two, it was a rather solitary experience. Right. You know, you would have a group, um, but when you go out into the field, you're on your own. Mm-hmm. Um, so they mm-hmm. learned from that, and they decided to put the artists together into teams so that everybody has their, you know, artist battle buddy. And um, so they put together teams of artists, uh, and this was something that uh, art that they drew from active duty soldiers. So some were draftees, some had, uh, some had volunteered. And these people, you know, they kind of advertised for it. And uh, people applied. They sent in a portfolio of their work, and they were selected for the team. Uh, so over the course of the Vietnam War, we had uh, nine teams of artists. Each team had four to five people on it. There was, you know, an officer who was always chosen as a supervisor mm-hmm. and, you know, three or four enlisted, enlisted men. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would. That's pretty sizable. Yeah, it was a, a pre- pretty sizable teams, um, you know, and they would have enough that if they needed to send two people on one mission today mm-hmm. and two people on a different mission, they could cover both. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in general, the teams traveled together. They would deploy to Vietnam for 90 days per team. And uh, while they were there, they didn't stay with a particular unit. They usually um, they usually went around and covered, you know, they might cover one unit for, you know, a couple weeks and then go someplace else and what's going on over here. Uh, they just tried to get out and, you know, talk to soldiers and, you know, take photographs because at this point they're all carrying a camera. Right, World War II, yeah. they were not necessarily yeah. carrying cameras. And that could almost but, be their sketch, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So some of them, something. some of them sketched anyway. And mm-hmm. we do have some amazing Vietnam era sketchbooks, mm-hmm. um, but some chose to take camera, uh, take pictures using cameras, and use that as their reference material. Um, so then, after ninety days in country, the entire team, you know, picked up and they went to a studio together, and they mm-hmm. spent about ninety days in the studio taking their sketches, their cam, um, their, you know, their photographs. Mm-hmm their notes and turning them into finished paintings. Um, So from the Vietnam era, you know, we have more works on canvas because Mm -hmm. they had that time in the studio. World War II, everybody was turning in what they could carry. So we don't have a lot of works on canvas. We have a lot of, you know, watercolors and sketches, stuff like that. And then when did the Army Artist in Residence program begin? That began in uh, 1993 that was okay. established. So after the Vietnam War, uh, we kept that team, that team, uh, that team of artists scenario going. And, you know, we would have, you know, generally one team a year, maybe two teams a year covering uh, whatever the Army was doing. So we sent teams of artists all over the world documenting what the Army was doing throughout the 1970s, 1980s as well. Um that continued up until the Persian Gulf War. Mm-hmm. 
And at that point, um, you know, knowing that knowing that we were deploying soldiers, they got a team of artists together. They sent one team over to cover Operation Desert Shield. And then we sent another team to cover Operation Desert Storm. Mm-hmm. Now, they didn't get there in time to actually see the action, but they got to cover a lot of, <laughs> yeah, the administration of program yeah. missed those couple of days. Yeah, yeah, the bureaucracy did not, did not, uh, uh, did not keep up with the uh, the couple of days of action, but you know they were there in time to you know to see the aftermath. They mm-hmm. talked to the soldiers who participated. You know they they were able to create artworks based on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so after uh, those two those two teams of artists got back, they had an exhibit of their artwork um, that was at the Old Guard Museum up in uh, up in Arlington, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And uh, that exhibit was attended by the chief of staff of the army, who at the time was General Gordon Sullivan. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, very, very impressed with those artists' work. And, you know, he met them, he talked to them. Um, he was so impressed with what they were doing that he uh, established the Army Artist Program, um, which, you know, that created a permanent position on our staff here at the Center of Military History for an active duty artist. So it's one artist. One artist, yep. So since 1993, we've had one artist at any time. One at a time, okay. Now, I have to ask this question that comes up. Um, so we have an artist, but why is why is it relevant to have an artist today when we have... I could, I could see in the 17th, 18th, 19th century, you know, you need paintings, you need drawings, so people understood what it looked like and what soldier's life was and all those things. But now we have cameras, we have video cameras, we have drones, we've got all this now. So why do we still maintain or need an army art? That is the second most often question that I'm Mm -hmm. asked. (laughs) The second most asked question. Um, You know, it's another way of documenting. It's a, you know, it's bringing somebody else's personal vision into, Mm -hmm. um, into documentation. So, you know, if your document... I don't want to imply that photography can't be fine art because mm-hmm. it certainly can. But if you're an art, a photographer for the U.S. Army, you're doing documentary photogra- photography, and you know what you snap with your photo. You know mm-hmm. you're not going back. You're not you know you're not changing it. You know to make it look more artistic. Right. You know your photograph mm-hmm. is your documentation. Mm-hmm. If you're an Army artist, you can use a little more artistic license. Mm-hmm. You can. Um, and by that, I don't mean lie. I mean, right. you know, you can take different aspects of a scene that may mm-hmm. not be within the frame of the camera. So, you know, you're the artist and you've been, you know, you've spent two weeks hanging out with this unit and watching mm-hmm. what they do. And, you know, something interesting happens, you know, yesterday, something interesting happens tomorrow, something mm-hmm. interesting happens on different days. You can take parts of those scenes and incorporate them all yeah. into one interesting so it's really, painting. It's really a slice of life. It is a slice of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And an artist is able to an artist is able to, you know, use that artistic license mm-hmm. and, you know, take little pieces and put them together, synthesize them into mm-hmm. uh, into one scene. All right. Well, that makes sense. I, I you know, Definitely understand that. Yeah, and each artist that you ask will have their own their own perspective on mm-hmm. you know why his or her job is important and why his or her job differs drastically from what the phot- photographers do. Right. Now, um, this art collection. So o- over time, we you've collected up. You said about thirty five thousand pieces of art. 
And they're stored between mainly here at Fort Belvoir. We have about 16,000 pieces at Fort Belvoir. Um, There is a large collection of the West Point Museum. Um, They, uh, in general, the West Point Museum's collection is very heavy on 19th century, Mm -hmm. very strong on 19th century. And the collection here at Fort Belvoir is very strong on 20th century. So the two collections really complement one another Mm -hmm. very, very well in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the rest of it is uh, all over at the different army museums. Mm -hmm. So, you know, artworks that, you know, are related to military police might be on display at the Military Police Museum Mm -hmm. or infantry pieces at the National Infantry Museum. Now, I've been into a lot of government offices uh, here in the, we're recording in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, But also uh, when I was on active duty, you know, around the world, I would see artwork. But my understanding is those weren't the originals. Yes. Um, we have, uh, fortunately, we have the technology to make really, really, like, high-quality reproductions. Mm-hmm. And generally, people, you know, people looking at them, you often can't tell that you're looking at a reproduction mm-hmm. versus yeah. an original painting. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's great because it allows us to keep the originals in a museum environment to ensure their preservation, while at the same time putting the artwork out there in yeah. somebody's office or, you know, in a hallway, conference room, et cetera, yeah. and allowing, you know, the army and, you know, yeah. the American people who see them to enjoy those works yeah. and yeah. learn and, from them. And, and there, there, are, there are a lot of them out there, and people may not realize it, but if you yeah, start paying attention to, you know, to, to what's hanging up in the yeah. walls and the offices and things, and it's... Any army building you walk into, you will probably see works from our collection on the walls. Right, yeah, and, and most likely reproductions. Yes. Um, but, uh, um, and, and then the National Museum of the U.S. Army, the new museum that opened up near, yes. uh, right next to Fort Belvoir here. Uh, so they showcase your art as well. So people can go there and see it. Yes, they did. Uh, the inaugural exhibit in their temporary gallery um, was titled... Uh it was titled The Art of Soldiering, and that was, an, I actually curated that exhibit, and yeah. it was an excellent opportunity um, to showcase our artwork and, you know, to show some of the best pieces from the, uh, from the soldier art, mm-hmm. from the soldier artists, from the, you know, the civilian war correspondents, as well as pieces that, you know, are decorated by soldiers. Right. So, so that was something that we did with that exhibit is, you know, we had a Humvee door that a soldier decorated, yeah. you I, know. I love first, the exhibit was amazing. It, oh, it, thank it, you. it really was. And the artwork, I was just blown away by the quality of the artwork and how it just pulls you in and and it feels like you're there you know it's, it's it does it's yeah and that's the that's the best thing the mm-hmm. the most amazing thing that this art collection does and you know that exhibiting it does mm-hmm. is that it can bring together generations of soldiers yeah. so you know you could visit that exhibit with soldiers of you know three different four different generations mm-hmm. and they will all find common experiences yeah. That's what's so cool about the artwork is that, you know, you have a you have somebody who served in, you know, World War Two, Vietnam, GWAT, mm-hmm. you know, and they'll all look at a work of art and they'll find a common experience there. But it's timeless. It's, it, it is the I think the slice of life, the soldier experience looking at that artwork, if it was from the 18th century or, you know, up recently um, to the modern wars that we've been in, um, 
you're seeing soldiers experience the same things in, in yeah. some ways. Yeah, you know, the, 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 the chow lines, you know, yeah. the cleaning of the weapons, um, yeah. the, you know, uh, the weapons may have changed and, and stuff, but still soldiering is soldiering. Soldiering is soldiering. Yeah, and so um, that's yeah. one thing that we wanted to do in that exhibit mm-hmm. is get that timelessness of it across. And as you mentioned earlier, the thing that fascinated me, I think the most that well, I should say that I learned from that experience is the artwork isn't just the paintings. It's like you're saying the door of the Humvee um, and uh, uh, what is it? The uh, canvas bags, people would paint on their canvas bags or draw. So yeah. And you know, it's, it's doodling, but it's also, you know, it's also a window into the Mm -hmm. experience of the soldiers and the time in which they served. So So soldiers who didn't set out to be an artist, um, you know, if they've got something like that, they, um, anyone who is listening, if you have something that you have doodled, we might be interested. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, now you do more than just collect the art here, right? So you have this vast art collection, but it's got to be maintained or what's what's the term curated or? Uh, yeah, curate, curating is you know generally what you do when you're putting together an exhibit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know we research, we you know we write on it, but you know preserving is preserving. you know I think mm-hmm. the word that you're looking for yeah. here and. You know, that is always a balancing act, you know, as museum professionals. We want to get that artwork out there. We want people to see it. We want people to learn from it. Mm-hmm. But we're also thinking about its long-term preservation. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I'm not talking about 10 years from now. I'm talking about, is this object that is made of things that naturally degrade, mm-hmm. is this object going to be around 50 years from now, mm-hmm. 200 years from now, 400 years from now? Mm-hmm. And, you know, everything that we do is made with those de- those, our decisions are made with that in mind. Um, so our facility is kept at a, um, a particular temperature, particular humidity. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have very, very high quality air filtration in this mm-hmm. building and in most of our museum buildings in order to maintain the best environment possible mm-hmm. for the artifacts. Yeah. Oh, it's great. Yeah. So a, a lot of time and effort is, uh, has been paid to maintaining or preserving as you yes said. absolutely yeah. and getting things ready to go on exhibit as well you know artwork you know unless you unless you work in a museum you probably think well it's an artwork you just hang it on the wall yeah. no nope, we need mm-hmm. to uh, because we're thinking about preserving it until mm-hmm. the you know until the end of time right. um, you know we need to think about the light levels we need to think about you know what is gravity going to do to this painting yeah. if we hang yeah. it for a certain length of time and gravity's bad mm-hmm. um, and and for a lot of the reasons that we've already stated through this it's the army's heritage it is the army's it's, heritage it's the army's yes. story and, and that's why uh, I think it's so important. Yeah, and we want to make sure that it's around for future generations mm-hmm. and um, as well as enjoyed by and, you know, here to teach right. current generations. Now, you've already talked about some, a, a few significant pieces, uh, but what are other significant pieces of art that, uh, that, that you maintain? Um, well, that life collection of artwork is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mentioned the World, the World War II. Yes, I mentioned Tom Lee's Peleliu, Peleliu mm-hmm. Landing Series. You know, that includes um, a very well-known work called Marines Call It That 2,000-Yard Stare. Oh, Sorry, yes. Marine Corps, we do have it. Yeah. Um, 
that is one of the uh, one of the works that everybody wants to see. Um, you know, we have uh, four Norman Rockwell originals in the collection. You um, made those for the Army or about Army? For life? the Army, oh. yes, yes. So one of them is um, you know the the famous machine gunner piece. Um, it's it's titled "Let's Give Him Enough and on Time." Oh yes, okay. Um, so that's one that we'll we'll put that one up on the on the um, social media Fridays. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, the Yank cartoons, um, and you know, even even the works by the soldier artists. You know, these are, you know, the, these are, you know, they're significant works because they mean something to soldiers, mm-hmm. and because soldiers can look at them. And as I as I was saying a few minutes ago, because soldiers of various generations all relate to that same uh, to that same experience. And how can people see the Army art? You mentioned that there's. There's museums, but there's other ways. Yeah, um, yeah. The best way to go see works in person is to visit one of the army museums. Most of them have uh, most of them have you know at least one or two artworks up at any given time. Uh, the National Museum of the U.S. Army just took down the Art of Soldiering exhibit, but there will be a smaller version of it mm-hmm. reopening when they reopen that gallery okay. um, later on this summer. I think it's September that it's reopening. Mm-hmm. Um, so there will still be artwork up there. Uh, in addition to that, we have artwork up on the CMH website. We have Army Art Fridays that we have on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Right. And um, also in the Army History Magazine. You know, a couple mm-hmm. times a year we have an Army Art yeah. article. So, mm-hmm. um, so people can explore the website at history.army.mil. And, um, yeah, you know, as I put together the, the social media posts for Army Art Friday – uh, that's one of the places that we go, in addition to uh, to the art that uh, you and your team send me uh, as well. So there's a lot of places people can go to find the Army art. Yeah, we also and have I, a couple hard copy publications mm-hmm. as well. Oh, yes. um, mm-hmm. You know, there are, and they're available on our website as mm-hmm. well. There, um, There's one... Uh, one on um, Army Art Vietnam to the present day that's titled In the Line of Duty. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple that were published in the 1990s. Those are titled, um, uh, I can't remember. Well, yeah. So before we get to who trivia, is there anything else that we didn't bring up that you think is uh, important for people to know about the art program? No, I don't think so, but I'm happy to yeah. answer any, uh, any follow-up questions that right. you get on, uh, yeah. on the podcast. All right, well, we'll do. So uh, thanks so much. But before we close, it's time for my favorite segment called Hua Trivia. All right, so this is a piece of significant Army trivia, something that we're hoping will you know, impress or wow the audience. So what uh, piece of Hua Trivia can you share about the Army art program? All right, so we were just talking about significant pieces of art that the Army maintains, but I was saving this for Hua Trivia. Okay, good. <laughs> um, now, did you know that Walt Disney designed both nose art and insignia during World War II? Ah, so that's we, Walt, the Walt Disney. The Walt Disney, yeah. So wait, first of all, nose art. What do you mean by that? What's nose, nose art? Nose art for airplanes. For airplanes. Mm-hmm. So the front of the airplanes. Yeah, front see. of the airplanes. Yeah. So okay. Uh, now most of those, uh, most of those are maintained by Disney and protected under copyright. But mm-hmm. we do have two pieces in, in our collection. Um, you know, works on paper mm-hmm. that were Walt Disney's designs. Oh wow! So and those are. Currently at our transportation museum and aviation museum, they you know because their works on paper, they're not constantly on display, but oh, yeah. they do um, they do sometimes rotate onto display. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, great because yeah, I mean Disney 
the Disney Studios, uh, the artists, the filmmakers, they did a lot for the war effort. Yes, they and, did. Uh, so that's really cool. Well, great. I, I didn't know that they were involved in the art program too, so that's fascinating. Well, thank you so much for that Hua trivia, and thanks so much for your discussion and insights today about the Army Art Program. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. And if anyone wants to learn more about the Army Art Program uh, or learn more about Army history in general, then I encourage you to explore our website as at history.army.mil. And from the website, you can also find Army museums near you. If you want to go and visit some of these to see the art, um, just click on the museum tab at the top of the website. You can explore that and, and our Army art pages as well. And if you want to experience Army history every day, as we were talking about, you can visit our social media sites on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So please join us every week on this podcast for more in-depth discussions as we cover topics from all eras of U.S. Army history, examining battles, soldier experiences, equipment, weapons, and tactics. Thanks for joining us today on the United States Army History and Heritage Podcast. For the Center of Military History, I'm Lee Reynolds, and until next time, we're history. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or opinions of the U.S. Army or Department of Defense. For more information about the Army's proud history and heritage, go to history.army.mil.